what's up, gang? That is El Condor Passa from the band The Dead Rocks. It appears on their album International Brazilian Sounds, and it appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. You can learn more about The Dead Rocks over at their website, deadrocks.com.br, or follow the links over in the show notes for Monster Kid Radio. That's monsterkidradio.net. And I'd like to welcome you to the website and the podcast. I'm your producer and host, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to episode 82. Now, in this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off with sculptor Tom Bigler. We were talking about the 1959 film, The Alligator People, and we kind of left on a cliffhanger. Now, we've been going through the plot, talking about the story, hitting on the scenes as they go, and ended just as Beverly Garland was in the clutches of a very, well, kind of entitled Lon Chaney Jr. And, well... Go back and listen to episode 81 to learn more about that, or just go watch The Alligator People. In fact, it's probably better if you do watch The Alligator People, because we are going to spoil the ending of the film. During the discussion, Tom and I had some hesitation about spoiling the ultimate fate of some of the characters, but then, well... You should probably watch the movie. Also in this discussion, Tom has donated another original piece of artwork. Go look at the episode image of episode 82. Look at it on your iPod or go to iTunes or monsterkidradio.net. You can see that image there. That is his original sculpt for the alligator people. And we're going to tell you how you can enter into the drawing to win this sculpt at the end of our discussion about the alligator people and a few other things. We're going to talk about Beverly Garland, a few other movies and a few other bits of trivia and other alligator people and related things. Also, I have a little bit of news regarding some upcoming Blu-ray releases, Godzilla films being released on Blu-ray, I believe for the very first time. You'll have to come back to hear about that at the end of this episode as well. Now, this episode is going out on Thursday, March 20th. Now, I don't know if you have time to get to the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon, but if you do, you got to join me for Monster Kid Radio Crashes El Santo and Blue Demon versus The Monsters. This is the third and final installment of the Cinescopio film series of 2014. The third and final installment of the Cinescopio series in which they are focusing on Luce Libre films. We've covered these crashes in previous episodes of Monster Kid Radio. I'm going to cover this crash again. Probably going to hear that recording next week here on the podcast. But if you are in the Portland, Oregon area and want to join us in person, all you got to do is show up at the Hollywood Theater for the movie. Although you probably ought to go to the Hollywood Theater's website ahead of time and buy your tickets in advance. That's over at HollywoodTheater.org. And that's theater spelled with an R-E at the end. Org, or just follow the link in the show notes or look for the event page on Facebook because Monster Kid Radio is on Facebook. We have a Facebook group, which you can join and get into conversations with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes. We also have a Facebook page. Now, we are trying to get to 300 likes of the Monster Kid Radio page. By the end of March, as of this recording, we have 271 likes. What happens when we get to 300 likes? Well, I'm going to do a little dance and who knows what else. And since we're speaking of challenges, I think I'm going to go ahead and mention the 50 review challenge. I haven't mentioned that in a while. If you are an iTunes user, please consider dropping us an honest review in the iTunes store for Monster Kid Radio. Once we get to 50 reviews in the iTunes store, we're going to launch a special Creature from the Black Lagoon podcast as part of the Monster Kid Radio network. But we got to get to 50 reviews 
to make that happen. As of this recording, we have 40 honest reviews in the iTunes store, and that's what we're looking for here, honest reviews. I'm not just asking for a five-star review. I'm asking for your honest thoughts and an honest rating in the iTunes store. Of course, we appreciate everybody's support in all the other channels and places you can listen to Monster Kid Radio, whether that's Stitcher or some other podcast directory. We appreciate all of your support, and we appreciate you swinging by our website and checking out everything else we have to offer, like our Live 365 channel, our YouTube page, and our Flickr album. Again, that's monsterkidradio.net. If you have any thoughts about anything that we've talked about here on the show, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 4795MKR. That's also on our website. So you have no excuse if you have something you need to share with me here on the podcast. From a world beyond our own come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine. And they're all 1950s-style black-and-white movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. (laughs) You can find us at SaintEuphoria.com. Or like us on Facebook. That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in. This is Jackie Ray Naaman Jones. I play Debbie in Monos, the Hands of Fate, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. heard from Derek and Tom, Joyce Webster had found herself in the wet, creepy clutches of Manon, the man who dwells in the swamp amongst the gators, even though he hates them, and he's about to start taking advantage of this passed-out woman on his bed. What happens next? Tom, why don't you tell us? So he figures out what the hell, and he just barely starts taking the blanket off her like he's going to continue with his ways. And that's when, thankfully, Alligator Man shows up. Alligator men. And there's this pretty intense, almost cliffhanger style fight scene, fist fight, all throughout this little shack. That's some amazing choreography. It's great. Flipping over tables and Yeah, and it's it's kind of like this one long shot too, so it's not like a lot of cutting around and editing mm-hmm. to the beats or whatever. It's a really good fist fight i liked it i feel like the film was maybe sped up just a little bit ah that's correct that's exactly what i was gonna say just looked a fraction quicker yeah and i can't tell if that was really lawn or a stunt double doing the flips yeah i was i was trying to look and see they did a good job i'm thinking it wasn't lawn i can't imagine him because he flipped over the table once i think yeah yeah there's a full-on head over heels flip yeah Yeah, i don't know if lawn could do that but paul has saved his wife and as he takes her back to the plantation, Madden starts yelling, I'll get you, alligator man. 
You stinking gators. I hate you all. I'll kill you like any four-legged gator. Yeah. But yeah, so then Paul takes her back to the cypresses, correct? Yeah, and he and his mother have a conversation and more of that getting close to bordering on cartoony voice from him. It's unfortunate. Was that his real voice, you think? That I don't Well, I have no idea, Derek. Yeah, and then we're talking about Richard Crane, who played Paul Webster. Do we want to take a moment to talk about Richard Crane? We haven't really talked too much about him. Well, there's not a whole bunch about Richard. He was a so-so leading man during the 40s when all the real leading men were in the Army. <laughs> and he had a decent career. <laughs> That's what IMDb said. And then he went on to, uh, once they came back, his career kind of went down a little bit. But he was in, what, Rocky? Rocky Jones? Does that sound familiar? Space Ranger? I, I know what that is. I don't have any experience I've never with that. I've never watched it. But yeah, I do know what that is, and I did see that he did quite a few episodes of that. Yeah, I think that was his big thing in his later career. He died real early at 50 of a heart attack. Huh. So that's always unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, I liked him in this with the exception of his voice slowly getting worse and worse as we go. Yeah, yeah I think he would have been better served just using his own voice. Yeah. It just made it sound too cartoony yeah he brings his wife back to his mother and tells her what happened and she's going to take care of her while he's going to go talk to dr sinclair because you know he, he needs to get his wife out of there and he needs to be cured so he can do that and he really wants sinclair to just speed things up and let's let's get this fixed cure me please make it happen tonight yeah and sinclair wants to wait weeks or months to do the appropriate tests but paul will have none of it so he finally convinces sinclair to do it tomorrow night Yep. So we can test at least test it on some on some gators first to get the appropriate dosage of the cobalt. Because when you've got a guy who's manipulating all this electricity and radiation and who knows what else, you want to rush him. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> well, he's desperate. He is. I can see. And now that his wife's back, I can see that maybe that's a big impetus for this rush. If he was on his own, he probably could wait. But he knows what it's doing to uh, Joyce and how hard it is on her. So. Right. Because he makes a couple comments about having to do it for Joyce and help her. So. Right. So Sinclair is going to try out some things on a gator first. And we see those orderlies wrestling a gator out of a pen. And I'm assuming that gator was either sedated or maybe it was a rubber alligator, because it doesn't really put up a fight, even though they're wrestling around with it quite a bit. I think it was a real gator. I think those were, you know, maybe you feel the same way. I just think they hired two gator wranglers. Yeah, probably. Because they had the same two guys earlier wrangling two gators. Same outfits they looked like. They were in yeah. wrangler outfits. And then they are later the same two guys. Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty realistic if it was uh, artificial, but... They get it to do some testing, and then this next scene: Are we in the where Joyce meets Doctor Sinclair in the lab? Yeah, I mean they do the testing on the alligator, and she's there for that. I mean, she talks about how at uh, one point it's mentioned that she has a medical background, so you'll understand when I start using these big fancy scientific words. <laughs> and this is some of the great science of this movie. That <laughs> yeah, I love to hear. Well, all these movies. I mean, I, I love it in things. I mean. Everybody knows about my love affair with Creature from the Black Lagoon. I love the science bits in there, and any Jack Arnold science fiction movie has all this stuff in it, and I love it. And we start to get some of that as well after we see them shoot the alligator with some ray gun of some sort. This is where the doctor starts pulling out 
well, here's a picture of a lizard, and here's one with his tail dropped off. And look, he's growing it back in hydrocodone or hydrocortisone. Hydrocodone. (laughs) 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 Yeah, hydrocortisone and all this other stuff. I don't know how the Cobalt 60 came into it, but... (laughs) I think that's another example of just something that sounded cool, I guess, so they put it in there. But yeah, basically, his his thing is he takes something from an anterior pituitary gland of an alligator, some kind of substance, and puts that in people. Right. Now, when I think of all the animals in the animal kingdom, those that have healing and regenerative abilities, I don't necessarily look at the alligator as (laughs) the one to go to to try to figure out how it works. But I'm not a scientist. (laughs) Yeah, and they have to go there. They couldn't have, like, Gecko Man or Salamander Man or... Salamander people. Newt Man. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he discusses the science and... This is one of the parts, uh, one of my favorite parts is when he's discussing the science with Joyce about how things work. And then with all this, then he explains that, well, something went wrong and there started to be reactions to this therapy he was giving these people. Joyce asks, well, what happened? And he goes, well, isn't it obvious? It's like she's supposed to know. <laughs> it's, it's obvious how this insane science could have gone wrong and you should be able to figure out why. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway. Yeah. So we're getting close. He's explaining the science of it to her. Bev is looking beautiful as always. She is quite stunning in this. I'll give you I'll give you that. I I'm on board. I, I could join Team Beverly for a little while. Well, I appreciate she appreciates it. But I like sure. Julie Adams too. They're both good. They're both strong gals. Yep. Very appealing. Yep. You know, there's just so many. I watched the beginning of Zombies of Maratau. Okay. The beginning of that, and I'm not even sure who the gal was who was in that, the star of it, but she reminded me of somebody more of a typical 50s heroine, kind of yeah, not strong, just kind of, oh, oh, ee, you know, and that's why I appreciate gals that buck the 50s stereotype. Yes. So anyway. Agreed. So that's when Paul, they're in the Joyce is in the lab with Doctor Sinclair doing the pretest, and that's when Paul shows up, and he doesn't even want Joyce to see him because he feels like he's so hideous, and she basically comforts him and tells him she'll love him no matter what, and that I'll be there for you, basically. Yeah, I mean she loves her man. So that's when they decide. Well, they don't decide, but he gives him some comfort before he starts this massive test here or this massive radiation treatment now as a radiation treatment and and we're kind of getting towards the end of the film here and this movie kind of moves along at a pretty quick pace but it's now time for paul to get the treatment because he wants to be cured well man is out looking for the alligator man he's gonna screw everything right up (laughs) that's true so so yeah we're getting ready to do the test they strap paul down get the big uh, cardboard cone over him ready for the radiation, (laughs) and they started. They made it very clear that the radiation treatment must be 30 seconds, no more, no less. There are strict Strict controls. controls. That's why I have this old-style stopwatch to count down with. Man on actually shows up the plantation. Yeah, I mean, he's going through the plantation looking for for the alligator man. It's taken him a little while, but he's still smarting over being spurned last night and attacked by the alligator man. So he's, he's on a tear. He wants him. He's probably drunk. So he's looking for him. The treatment is just almost ready to start. 
Now, what did you think of how the treatment looks? There's obviously some optical effects going on here. It was loud. It had a real yeah. loud sound effect. Our two little dogs didn't like it very much. It was very sharp. Oh, no. But it was a very piercing. The sound was, was yeah. loud. It was just kind of like a little ray, a little canicular ray, I guess. But right. what did you think? It felt different than what you see in the Universal movies. A lot of times it looked like it was just a still shot. You know, we just got like maybe a, a couple of seconds of a freeze frame of something that had been doctored up or painted on. That mm-hmm. sort of thing. It was different enough to be interesting for me. I don't know. It just it looked different to me than what I normally see. But while that's going on, yeah, Manon makes his way to the lab area, has a confrontation with one of the orderlies, has a confrontation with Hawthorne. I've got the movie playing here in this, on my screen. I've got the sound off and I'm watching it. And at one point, the orderly has Manon in his hands and Hawthorne's there talking to him. And Manon raises his hook hand and she flinches. I don't know if it was intentional. I'm just now noticing Ooh, this. I didn't notice that. I don't know if it's an intentional thing or he just got closer than she was comfortable with. But yeah, there's this flinch, which just, now that I think about it, adds this level of danger to what's going on here. Unfortunately, it also highlights the fact that it's a pretty weak looking <laughs> hand. It's clear that, you know, he's just got his hand oh, yeah. in a rubber appliance with a hook at the end, which I don't know what else he could do, especially back then. It's not like you can Lieutenant Dan it and see yeah, something in or true. whatever, that's but true. you know it looks all right. But Madden's forces his way in, and the doctor tells him to get away. And well, Madden's punching people again, and yeah, he knocks Doctor Sinclair right out. Just knocks him out, knocks him out of the way, and looks into the the other the room through that little window, through that little opening. And at this point, things are sparking and smoking, and the lab's starting to go up a little bit. It's not on fire, but it's all smoky and sparky, and doesn't look safe. At all. And Manning goes walking in because, well, there's the alligator man. I'm going to go get him. And that's when we get the reveal of what I think is a better makeup than what we've been seeing Paul in for the whole film. I think it's a pretty striking image to see that alligator head on there. They did do a pretty good job. I do like it. And at first, Manning's like, you're not Paul. But it doesn't matter at this point. They start circling around the table. and Yeah, evidently the extra radiation caused Paul to grow his snout and uh, become an actual alligator man. His mother passes out, and the, you know she faints away. Well, let's see. First, let's go. So, do we need to talk about what happened to Manon? Do we want to talk about his final fate? Well, we could talk about his fate and leave Paul's for the Watchers. <laughs> All right. Basically, he goes to attack the alligator man with his hook, and his hook gets stuck in electrical cable, and yep. it electrocutes him. Which is, I don't know. I was hoping I would see a fight between the alligator man and Manon. It's really unfortunate. I mean, it would have been more of a poetic justice kind of ending if the Alligator Man or Alligators themselves killed Manon. Mm-hmm. You know, the man who got killed in the swamp by the Alligators that he hates so much. I hate him. It would be nice to see this come up and see mm-hmm. the thing, but it doesn't happen. So, yeah, he's he's just hanging there by this electrical cable, and there's uh, sparks everywhere. Paul's run off by this point. Joyce is right after him. And this is when the entire... The laboratory explodes, killing, I'm sure, everyone inside. Yeah. Then, <laughs> when Paul first runs out of the lab, it's fairly obvious that this guy in this mask could not see a thing. I'm sure you noticed that. <laughs> there's a car, there's a yeah. station wagon parked right in front of the lab. And I'm sure he's supposed to run around it. But he bumps into it twice trying to get around it. 
<laughs> he really does. That was kind of odd. Like the first time I could see, like he's panicky, but the second time he didn't know the car was <laughs> he where just it was. Missed it. And then I've, if you look as he's running, you'll see several times when he just falls over things. And, but he's running through the the swamp. Joyce is chasing him, and this is where Paul finally gets to see himself. He comes yeah, across he, a, a little pond and looks in and sees his reflection and sees what he has become. And uh, I can't imagine you'd be too happy about that. So. And a second ago, I said that I really liked the the headpiece. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as he's running around the swamp, it becomes very obvious he's wearing like a rubber mm-hmm. suit. And he even wrestles with an alligator at one point. He goes to, I guess, bite the alligator, and his snout kind of gets all <laughs> rubbery. And it's unfortunate, but so it's a nice static image. But if it- as oh, it far looks as great. practicality for things, it's 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 tough. well. And at one point, he even opens his mouth when he's in the lab before they run out. He opens his mouth. I don't know if he's looking to speak or whatever. But even that looked natural to me. But as he's moving around and getting more physical, it looks like he's wearing a turtleneck sweater. <laughs> yeah. And something happens to Paul, and we'll leave that mysterious. But there's a reason why Paul's not in the doctor's <laughs> office going under this hypnotherapy session. So I'm we'll pretty sure that. it's uh, it's not good for Paul. But no. And, you can, and then we go back to the doctor's yeah. office, yeah? Yeah. Now you should just say what happens to Paul. Do we oh, care? Why not? If you, we already gave people a This chance. is another example of an anticlimactic because I'm sure of the logistics of having Paul fight an actual alligator more realistically. I'm sure it was right. a lot more difficult because that would have been far more satisfying. But Paul, if you don't mind me, just go for he it. stumbles into quicksand. And that's that. And that's the end. And she's screaming and then scene and then we're back at the uh, original doctor's office dr mcgregor's and they're playing back the tape of the session they just had mm-hmm. with jane joyce jane bev Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> and there seems to be this question do we tell her do we try to cure her or do we just let her go on with her life because she's clearly happy and i don't know i kind of like the idea that it's open-ended they don't really tell us how they're going to end the story are they going to tell her? Are they going to try to cure her? Or do we just let her be? Because, yes, she suffered this horrible tragedy. But if she remembered any of that, she'd be a mess. And I, I like the opening. Mm-hmm. Even though we didn't need the framing device to make the movie work, I still like that it ended that way. Mm-hmm. That gives you another level to think about as opposed to just an alligator movie. But, yeah, I don't know about the... <laughs> Is it ethical? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I ended up really liking this movie it's been a long time since i've seen it and i had forgotten about lon cheney's involvement i guess when i think about the movie at least up until the last time i watched this i thought he was more in it i really thought he was more in the story but he's not he's really only in the movie for a handful Mm -hmm. of scenes and he's kind of a plot device for the most part a strong presence though oh he's certainly charismatic he's certainly part of the film for sure. Now, is this one that you have had a lot of experience with? I'm sure I've seen it a half a dozen times, but I, I hadn't watched it for probably several years until just about a week ago when I watched it, two mm-hmm. weeks ago. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it actually more than I thought I was going to. It is good. I mean, it's got more than just, oh, it's a movie about alligator people. I mean, there's a little bit more to mm-hmm. it than that. And there is a little bit of, as you said earlier, there's a little bit of everything. I mean, you got creatures, you got science, you got Bev, you got amphibious cars. And that, you know, there's just a lot. Oh. I love that amphibious car. 
<laughs> I want one so bad. I looked that up. It's some kind of an old Ford from like the forties, but I can't remember exactly what it was. Something they did for the military, I think. But anyway, now as far as the alligator people design the makeup, did you see the names of the people who were involved in the makeup on that? Who, who is it? Ben Nye, legendary makeup effects artist, has his name on a lot of makeup supplies that are being used now. And Dick, Dick Smith, Smith, that's who I remember. Dick He's Smith, a- the man behind The Godfather and The Exorcist and Taxi Driver, he was involved in this film. That's just cool. I don't know who did what on the film. I don't know, you know how they broke up the responsibility of the makeup or if they just it was a true collaborative mm-hmm. effort. Either way, though, it was really neat. And like you said, as a static sculpt, I like that image of the full-on alligator head. I like that. And I think for the most part, if it wasn't for the silly voice, even the mid scene between human and alligator head, that makeup, the scaly mm-hmm. face and all that, I kind of liked that as well. Although there are a couple of times when you can see that it was only on his hands mm-hmm. and his face. I still like the look of it. It's just that unfortunate turtleneck sweater looking <laughs> chest piece that kind of broke yeah. it for me. But I thought it was cool that they were involved in that. I mean, Dick Smith, who is a multi-award winner. Yeah, I would be curious of the budget. I can't imagine much in the way of budgets for that. Because I compare like that, like to the creature, comparing the look and how well it was done. I mean, the creature looks so much of higher quality, but I'm sure I'm sure the uh, the budget on this couldn't have been much. I wouldn't imagine it would be too much. And I mean, I think the minute you put a monster in a wet setting like that, especially in the from the fifties, I immediately go to creature because as the benchmark, true, classic. It just is. I don't know what the budget on the alligator people was. I mean, it's from 20th Century Fox, and they're not messing around. They've got the money to spare. So I don't know. Now, it was written by Orville Hampton. He's the person who wrote the screenplay, and he wrote quite a bit. I mean, at least in terms of the kinds of movies that we might cover here in the future. You know, The Four Schools of Jonathan Drake, The Atomic Submarine. He also did a lot of television, a lot of westerns, and a few other things here and there. But it's kind of cool that he did some other movies that we might revisit Ooh. down the line, and he won an Academy Award, and he wrote The Underwater City, starring Julie Adams. Amazing. I know. The Underwater right? City. Cool. I remember. I think I vaguely... Wasn't that a... Boy. It was from 1962, and this guy who is trying to design moon bases is contracted by a group to design a base underwater instead. And Julie Adams is the doctor on the project, and I love it. Love it. <laughs> It's a great film. But yeah, I mean, you've got this guy who would go on to win an Academy Award, or, or excuse me, nominated for an Academy Award, excuse me, working on the Alligator People, which is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, and he also wrote Rocket Ship XM, which ah. is a fun film as well. Well, there are definitely a lot of different movies, even if we just talk about some more Bev movies. You oh, know, yeah. It conquered the world. <laughs> what is it? Kuruku? Beast of the Amazon? Kuruku. Yeah, that's right. That wasn't a very good one, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't like the ending, but maybe we'll get it. Have you? You've seen oh, okay. it, of course. It's been a while, but yeah, I've seen that one. And she was also in Swamp Women. Swamp Women. What was the first Beverly Garland movie that you saw that you're like, oh, I like her? I'm sure it was in Conquered the World. She yeah. was platinum blonde, another super strong. You know, it's kind of a uh, a triangle between her, Lee Van Cleef, her husband, and the creature. It. You know, she right. obviously was very threatened by it, and she took matters into her own hands. That's what I yeah, like. she did. Did she get together with your doctor friends and talk about how pretty she was oh, after you yeah. saw the movie? 
all my ex Tarzan <laughs> doctor friends. Yeah. <laughs> that was probably, you know, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of Bev. I've probably seen only half a dozen of her movies, but all this, you know, I've seen her. I remember from, this is probably before your time, but uh, My Three Sons, she was the mom. Do you remember My Three Sons? Well, she yeah, towards really? the end, the last three seasons, she was the mom. I think that's that's probably the first time I saw her. That was like in the late '60s. I think. Yeah, Ed McMurray's wow. uh, wife. Yeah, I'm familiar with the show, yeah. and I've got the theme song stuck in my head right now. Thank you. <laughs> I can't remember the theme song. I don't want it. <laughs> oh, you sure? What? That was that was it. Wasn't it with the three toes tapping? Oh, I remember the tapping toes. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But probably, yeah, that one was the the one that I really appreciated from her. But she's done. She had done tons of stuff. She has almost 200 acting credits. So she was, and she just did massive amounts of TV, of course. Well, she was acting up through the 2000s. Wow. That's great. She kept busy that long. And you said she was really cool. Yeah, she was real, real nice. I mean, it was a long time ago. You know, she was real nice. Very cool. What else is there to say about the alligator people that I really enjoyed it? And I said, I think it's something that. I think most monster kids would dig. I mean, it's got great monsters in it. I cringe a little bit about the alligator usage, <laughs> but I think you're right. I think they probably hired a couple of uh, alligator wranglers and brought them on with their alligators and had them do their thing. I can't imagine that if they had hired an alligator wrangler, they would have killed one to run it over with a car. I mean, that's part of their business. And I never saw one, actually. You know, when Lon was shooting... They were obviously squibs or whatever, but you never saw him actually hit a gator. He missed, no, he missed not at all. quite I mean, a bit. So. There, there are a few shots where you see the alligator in the swamp water, and next to it, the water explodes like it got hit yeah. with a bullet. But that could have been a squib. That just could have been an air hose, you know, running water up. Yeah, it could have been yeah. anything. It could have been done safely. You know, we don't know for sure. I did like how it was shot. I mean, it was a widescreen. This was a full picture. Wasn't this was CinemaScope this was, or, or that kind of gives it a level of class? I feel like that sometimes you get with you don't get mm-hmm. with the cheapy science fiction movies of this era. No, it had a good so part like of that. my problem when I watched it the first couple times. I watched it on my iPad, and that cuts it all down uh, for some. It cuts it all. That yeah, really it? narrows it. Last time, last night, I watched it on DVD with Mona, and yeah, you can tell it's it makes a big difference when you can see the whole scope of the picture yeah. like that. It makes a big difference. So. Well, and the cinematographer was the same guy who did the fly. So, I mean, it's somebody who's used to shooting monsters. <laughs> uh, that was Carl Struss was that man's name who did that. And I think this was actually released as part of a double feature with one of the fly I think films, it was with Return it? of the Fly, I believe. Yeah, during its initial theatrical yeah. run. Now, you sent me an interesting link <laughs> the other day when we were talking about this movie. I think this is cool because I had one of these growing up, an Atari 2600. Oh, sure. Most kids of our... Age probably yeah. did. I loved my Atari 2600. I would race home from school to play it and uh, had my favorite games. I don't know if this game would have ever become one of my favorites if it was ever released, but they were talking about putting out a game based on the alligator people. Yeah, they actually, in 1983, they wrote the code. It never got released. Um, yeah, I sent you a link. It's kind of an odd little game where you actually play Joyce, but you play her as a, <laughs> as a syringe. And you chase around alligators on kind of a Mrs. Pac-Man kind of screen. Yeah, it's this weird playing yeah. field area. It's bizarre you have to looking. inject them to turn them back into people. It's uh, kind of cool. But yeah, never released. And it was undiscovered for a long time, according to this website at uh, AtariProtos.com. 
it, uh, a prototype was discovered in 2002. Wow. I mean, it's the Atari 2600. It's not like the graphics are amazing. <laughs> and really, this game could be anything. And this website even says at one point when it was discovered, they thought it was the Planet of the Apes game. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which also looks pretty... I mean, that looks kind of like the E.T. game, actually, now that I look at the Planet of the Apes game. Huh. Yeah, this Alligator People game, 20th Century Fox wasn't happy with it. It was dropped. Nobody seemed interested. This is from John Marvin, one of the programmers at Atari. Nobody seemed interested. We would play test games, and sometimes they wouldn't make it out because of the play test, and that one didn't make it out because it was a little bit too slow moving for the kids that played it. Too easy for them. But I guess there's like just a moving odd. maze in it, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just a little oddity, oh. kind of a neat little... Yeah connection i mean it was 1983 i don't know if that was out before or after they started doing video games based on movies for the atari it's just odd that they would tie a video game to a movie from the 50s <laughs> you know yeah, it's like it's true i mean this is almost 30 years later <laughs> but that's probably part of why it didn't make it past the test phase because what kids of 10 back then knew about the alligator people movie not too and at this point, too, I mean, it's not like people can go out and buy it on DVD and watch mm-hmm. it. You know, maybe you see it on TV late night, maybe with a horror host even. But other than that, what experience do you have with this film? So it's just a weird movie to adapt. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. I'm looking through Bev's other movies to see what else there is. Oh, that's why you got real quiet. Oh, the Neanderthal <laughs> man. She has a small part in that. I forgot about um, Not of This Earth. So that's one we could talk about someday. I think that's kind of hard to find, though. The, the remake with Tracy Lords you can find. But the original, yeah. I, uh, Netflix, I don't think, has it. I think it's kind of hard to locate. We'll see. Well, that's a cool one. I mean, it's another Roger Corman film. It seems like she did a couple of Corman mm-hmm. films. Yeah, all of the movies that she did that had, I mean, it looks like she did a handful of these monster movies, which I don't know if back then in the 50s there was a stigma attached to them, but it seemed like she did a handful mm-hmm. of them. Well, next time we do another Beverly Garland film, we'll just have to have you back and we'll go through and do some sure. of those. Sure. You know, you mentioned Karuku, Beast of the Amazon, not being very good, but it is written and directed by Kurt Siodmak, who I really like. He's the guy who wrote The Wolfman. Ah, oh, sure. I don't recall the movie terribly well. It's another tropical uh, setting with a monster, but if if I recall, the ending is somewhat anticlimactic, but I I, I don't want to say too much because I'm not positive. Didn't end the sure. way I thought it would have, but, but we'll watch it. I'd be happy to watch it sometime. Fantastic. Well, I was watching this movie, uh, Derek knows, and maybe the people who listen to the podcast know I'm kind of a fan sculptor. I was okay as a kid as doing art, so I kind of started doing a little sculpt. I've done a couple for the show. I did Island of Terror, right? The Silicates. Yeah, the Island of Terror sculpt. And then yep. we did. A, mm-hmm. I did a Matango sculpt. Yeah. So I decided to work on a little one, and this is, again, is a super quick sculpt. I did it in a day. I did it and painted it. But I did a little sculpt of a bust of an alligator people with a little smaller bust of the strange white-robed figures with a little poster. Mm -hmm. I did one, too, part of the podcast deal. I'm going to offer it uh, to one of the listeners. Now we just have to decide... (laughs) What to do? I'd like the listeners to to work a teeny bit to get this. So how does this sound, Derek? We've watched Matango, which is about metamorphosis, and we watched this about a man turning into an alligator. Why don't we have people email in if they could morph into any animal like an alligator person? Well, not alligator because we just talked about it, but a different animal. Right. What animal would they want to 
start to emulate, and what would their reasoning be for wanting to do that? How's that sound? That sounds good. I like that. So it's like, I'd like to be a bird because I could fly, you know, but we always appreciate the most imaginative responses, so try to come up with something awesome. I like it. I like uh, that a lot. We'll do another way and... And then we'll just give away this sculpt. I'll just keep it here, and I'll just mail it out from my location. I'll put a post up, uh, a picture for Derek to put up so you can see what you're getting, whoever wins. Sounds good, so man. So that should be. And, you know, it turned out okay. It's just, you know me, Derek. <laughs> yep, I do, I do. Tom's a, a perfectionist, and and I appreciate that because I've got a few of his pieces here, and I love it. Never turns out, and it I never turns work. out good enough, though, you know. Oh, I like yeah. them, though. I'm not going to complain about them. I love them. So anyway, but it's just fan art. So I'm hopefully somebody will appreciate it. But so send in, think about what creature and why. There you go. And we'll send that into monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we'll just collect some entries. And here at the end of this episode, I'll mention the deadline and I'll probably mention this again. So thank you, Tom, for your generosity on this. I mean, I think it's really cool that you've been doing this artwork. Oh, for the it's show, my pleasure. So. I'm happy to do it, Derek. And thanks for talking. I love uh, talking to you about one of my uh, favorite so so movies. <laughs> I don't want to put it in my, I was going to say, well, in my top, but it's not in my top 10 or 20. So <laughs> of, of all the Beverly Garland films. Oh, uh, well, I haven't seen that many. It Conquered the World is one. This might be two. Not If This Earth was good, though. It was really good. You and I should watch that. But this okay. is right up there. It's a good movie. <laughs> Twist my All arm. All right, I'm Twist trying. <laughs> This movie was a lot of fun, and I hope you guys and gals had fun with the alligator people. As much fun as I did and Tom did talking about the movie. This one, like I told him and like I've mentioned on the show, I haven't watched in a very long time. And I'm very glad that Tom brought it back up to my attention because, one, you can never go wrong with one. Two, Beverly Garland is fantastic. Three, I love the iconic image of the alligator face. Four, I love the music. Five, it's in Cinemascope. Six, science. I mean, it's just a fun film. Highly recommend you guys and gals watch it if you don't think we spoiled it too much and if you haven't seen it before. Pretty easy to get your hands on. It's available on DVD. It's also kind of easy to get your hands on one of Tom's original pieces of artwork. He mentioned the contest. He's donating this piece of artwork, this original sculpt. Again, look at the episode image of episode 82 of Monster Kid Radio at monsterkidradio.net or just look down on your iPod or smartphone and look at that picture. That's Tom's original artwork, and he's going to give that away to a lucky listener of Monster Kid Radio. As he mentioned, the way you enter is to email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com your name, your address, and tell us what you'd want to morph into. And why? Make it fun, make it interesting, make it creative, make it feel like a 50s science fiction movie if you want. The entries that make us smile and laugh are the best types of entries. I'm going to take all the entries, put them in a drawing, draw a winner, and we'll announce the winner on an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. Why don't we say the deadline for this contest is April 1st? Easy to remember. April 1, monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Name, address, you might win this original piece of artwork from Tom. I have a few different pieces of Tom's of my own here at the Monster Kid Radio studios. In fact, if you go to monsterkidradio.net and you look over on the right-hand side, you'll see a sign that says Monster Kid Radio. looks kind of spooky. looks like one of those radio signs that says on air. has a little hand coming up on it. That's one of his pieces. I take it with me whenever I go to a show or a con, and I have the opportunity to be set up and do something for Monster Kid Radio. 
like the upcoming HP Lovecraft Film Festival and Cthulhu Con. I'm going to be one of the guests at this year's festival. Learn all about it over at hplfilmfestival.com and look at all the other more than worthy guests that are good. I mean, I'm honored to be included on the guest list with people like Robert Price, Doug Bradley, Ken Hyde, S.T. Yoshi, Joe Pulver, Sandy Peterson. I mean, these are some amazing people in Lovecraft circles and spooky movies. And I mean, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I've been going to the Lovecraft Film Festival for years. And the best way for you to enjoy the entire event is to buy a three-day pass. If you get on it right now, March 20th, $55 for a three-day pass. After that, it's $60. It oftentimes sells out. So if you want to get in on some of this, you got to buy a ticket in advance, especially since you're going to see some amazing movies. That I mean, when was the last time you got a chance to see Curse of the Crimson Altar on the big screen? Christopher Lee, Boris Karloff, Barbara Steele, come on. Now, am I going to have that Monster Kid Radio sign with me at the festival? Probably not, because I'm going to be running around playing the role of the roving reporter or podcaster recording for upcoming episodes of Monster Kid Radio. Probably going to be involved in a panel or two, and I'm going to try to record those for upcoming episodes as well. And, I mean, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Like I keep telling everybody, the best way to find me at one of these events is to look for the big guy wearing the Hawaiian shirt who looks like he's having the most fun in the room. And I typically have a recorder in my hand. Come up and say hi if you're going to be there at the festival. Or if you're going to be at Crypticon Seattle. This is happening in May. That's down the line, so you got some time to plan. Christopher Mim has been added as a special guest to Crypticon Seattle. This is the first time he's come to a Seattle convention, been to the Pacific Northwest for a show like this. And I'm in talks to be there as well. Probably going to be a panelist as I learn more. You guys and gals will learn more. At the top of the show, I mentioned there's some news about some Godzilla Blu-rays. I want to go ahead and share with everybody that Sony is releasing one, two, three, four Blu-rays. Now, these are available for the first time in Blu-ray in North America. It's going to be a two-disc Blu-ray set. They're remastered in high definition. Let me run the titles down for you. The first release is Godzilla versus King Ghidra and Godzilla and Mothra, the battle for Earth. The second one is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2 and Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. Godzilla vs. Destroya and Godzilla vs. Megagirus is the third one. And the fourth one on the list is Godzilla Tokyo SOS and Godzilla Final Wars. Now, these are movies that are typically outside of the Monster Kid Radio era. Or, I don't want to say wheelhouse because they're giant monster movies. And how can you not love giant monster movies? These are movies from the 90s to 2004 is when Godzilla Final Wars came out. But I'm still excited about these movies coming out. I'm excited about the new Godzilla film. Anything Godzilla is always going to have a home here on Monster Kid Radio. As we learn more about these Blu-ray releases, we'll talk about it here on the podcast. These will be released on May 6th. They'll come with a digital HD ultraviolet. I mean, come on, they're in Blu-ray. You cannot have too much Godzilla on Blu-ray, and you just can't. I want to talk a little bit about what's coming up next week on Monster Kid Radio. Now, this is assuming that I'm able to produce the show. As I mentioned on last week's episode, I recently lost my grandmother. She passed away over the weekend, and that part of the family is in a completely different state, completely different time zone than I am. So there are some things going on that may take me away from the Monster Kid Radio studios. And if that's the case, you may not see regular episodes next week or the week after that. You might just see one episode. I may need to take a break. I'm going to keep everybody posted if that's what I have to do. But I do have some content. I have what I'm calling kind of an uncut or uncensored 
bit with Joe Blevins about Ed Wood when we recorded the Ed Wood conversation that went out on a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio. This would have been episode 79 and 80. Well, Joe and I ended up talking for about half an hour about Ed Wood movies before I actually started the show proper. Now, we ended up repeating some of what we talked about, which is why I didn't include it in episode 79 or 80. But I still have that content. I still have that conversation. So I might put that out as kind of an uncut wood episode. And of course, everything that happens at the Monster Kid Radio crash tonight, I'm going to record and put on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio as well. After that, who knows? I've been looking at the list of previous guests and the list of people that I'm talking about having as new guests on the show. And I'm kind of excited about what 2014 is going to bring Monster Kid Radio, especially now that we've been nominated for a Rondo Award. Head over to RondoAward.com to learn all about the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. And know that we here at Monster Kid Radio are incredibly touched and honored to have Monster Kid Radio nominated in category number 23. That's the best multimedia horror category. We're listed there amongst a handful of other podcasts and multimedia horror producers. And I have to tell you, I either listen to or watch a number of these productions on a regular basis and just to have Monster Kid Radio in the mix is an honor and a thrill. I'm going to recommend that everybody go over to RondoAward.com. Vote for your favorites in every category. And if I can make a humble suggestion, perhaps when you're looking at category number 23, the best multimedia horror category, I know I'm going to vote for the podcast that happens to rhyme with Schmonster Schmid Schradio. Just saying. Also, under the Best Independent Film category, I'm going to be voting for the movie The Giant Spider because, well, Christopher Armim, he's family, man. He's one of the Monster Kid Radio originals. He was one of the very first guests that we had here on the show, and The Giant Spider is a fantastic movie. Now, you do not have to complete the entire ballot to vote, but you are going to want to go through the entire ballot to see what you missed last year when it comes to classic horror because there is always something. And David, the man behind the Rondo Awards, does a bang-up job of finding at least one or two things that I forgot last year, which means I've got to crack open the wallet, and, well, that's my problem. I probably need a support group. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song... El Condor Pasa that belongs to the Dead Rocks. It's on their album International Brazilian Surfs. You can find it on Amazon or look up the band on their website at deadrocks.com.br. Thanks for them for sharing their music with Monster Kid Radio and thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>